We've been on this journey since, uh, I think, the second week of January. You know, this journey of, of following Jesus wherever he's going. It's kind of interesting how the chosen that we've been watching has kind of followed a little bit with what we're talking about here on Sunday mornings. But the question I have this morning um, as we begin our time together, you know, is who who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You know, the I think that if you asked a thousand people, you might get a thousand different answers. But... Um, I'm going to read this for you this morning. I think it's pretty good. It says, who is Jesus? In chemistry, he turned water to wine. In biology, he was born without the normal conception. In physics, he disproved the law of gravity when he ascended into heaven. In economics, which we're going to talk about today, He disproved the law of diminishing returns by feeding 5,000 men and their families with with two fishes and five loaves. In medicine, he cured the sick and blind without administering a single dose of a drug. Isn't that something? In history, it says that he is the beginning and he is the end. In government, it is said that He said that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He shall be called Prince of Peace. In religion, he said no one will come to the Father except through him. You know, Jesus had no servants, yet they called him Master. Jesus had no degree, and yet they called him Teacher. He had no medicines, and yet they called him the Healer. He had no army, and yet kings feared him, especially King Herod. He won no military battles, and yet he conquered the world. That's Jesus. He committed no crime, and yet he was crucified. He was buried in a tomb, and yet, you know what, folks? He lives today. Amen? That's who Jesus is. So if you've been with us these last few weeks, you know that we started this journey back in January that's going to take us from the banks of the Jordan River to an empty tomb. Eventually we're going to get there. We're going to get to that empty tomb on the outskirts of Jerusalem. But we're going to, we're going to stop by many points in between those, those, those times before we get to that end there. And the Gospel Mark is what we're in. We're, we're studying the Gospel of Mark. He's our tour guide and following the footsteps of Jesus. And even, you know, we, we know that Mark was the shortest of all the Gospels. We know that. But yet, he actually records more events than any of the other Gospels, making it a very fast-paced, action-packed biography of Jesus. And it is the ideal starting point for anyone who wishes to get to know Jesus a little bit better. And let me tell you something. If you don't know Jesus, you miss the whole boat. But see, it's more than just knowing him. Because remember what the scripture says to us? It says that even the demons know. Even the demons believe. And yet they shudder. And we know that no demons are going to be saved. Their destiny is already determined. 
So we have to take that a step further and just knowing who Jesus is, we have to believe in who Jesus is and we have to follow who Jesus is. Where he leads me, I will follow. Will you? I'm going to ask you that question every week. Will you? So thus far, you know, we witnessed uh, the baptism of Jesus. You know, we've seen a man lowered through a ceiling so that Jesus could heal him. And, you know, we watched as Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, really in defiance of the religious leaders there. They were, they were, they were fit to be tied. You know, and a, a few Sundays ago, Jesus had just completed this whirlwind tour of, of northern Israel. He had, he had, he had done this tour. And, and then we see in Mark chapter four, Jesus astounds his disciples by doing what? Does, do you remember what he did? They were in this boat. And they were, they were seasoned fishermen. And they got caught in the storm. And terror had struck them so bad. And, and, and they looked around and they found peril and they, they looked within and they were panicking. Even, even these seasoned veteran fishermen. But the one thing that they did was they failed to look to Jesus and find peace. And Jesus calmed the storm with his voice. said, peace, be still. Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. A couple weeks ago, he shocked the, the ten towns of the Gerasenes by casting a legion of demons into a herd of swine. I always think of, um, what, what is the Pink Panther, Cato, you, you little yellow swine, you, you know. That's what Jesus did. He, he cast those demons into this herd of swine. And in the second half of Mark chapter 5, he surprised a disease-ridden woman who, who was healed instantly when she when she grabbed onto his cloak when he, on his garment, she was healed instantly from that. Her faith, you know. And his last stop was at the home of Jairus's daughter, who had just died, you know, moments before he arrived. But you know what? And this is the thing that we have to understand. And I appreciated what John, what John had to say. You know, we all know that death. Death can't stop Jesus. And because we are followers of Jesus, death isn't going to stop us. That is so true. He took this little girl by the hand. He whispered in her ear, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl rose and, 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 and walked. And the Bible says, if you'll notice, the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood and walked. And they were overwhelmed. They were totally amazed. They were overwhelmed and they were totally amazed. So far, Jesus seems to amaze and impress just about everyone that he encounters. But if you remember last week, when we got to Mark chapter 6, we met some people who just weren't that impressed with Jesus. Remember them? Remember them? You know, I'm not sure what prompted Jesus to return home. Perhaps he was tired from his travels or he just wanted to sit in that comfortable rocking chair that his dad had carved for his mom. You know, maybe his mom was nagging him. You know how moms are to try to get you to come home. Maybe she, for a visit or, or maybe he returned home for a Hebrew holiday or a family festival. I don't know for sure. But whatever his reasons, 
for coming home, he wasn't received very warmly by the townsfolks there that he grew up with. And, and the scripture says to us there that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. He was astounded by their unbelief. And so this leads us to our next story in following in the footsteps in the journey that Jesus takes us on. You know, when we think about Jesus, I think a lot of times we, we usually picture him in arguments with the Pharisees a lot. He, he, he ends up arguing with them at the temple, you know, or maybe we think of him as on, on this preaching circuit that he, that he travels on through this dusty, all these dusty Judean towns or, or healing the sick or casting out demons or, or performing some other serious task. And right now where we're at in the chosen series, he's doing those things. You know, and so he walk, he comes in on an evening basis and he's exhausted because you remember he is also 100% human. And so he is confined to the, the human abilities. And so he comes in and, and he, and he's really tired, but he did all of these things, but he did a lot more than that. He also did fun stuff. He did fun stuff. He, he, he attended a wedding. You know, he, he loved to interact with children, very much so. He visited the homes of his friends. And on two separate occasions, he even threw... Now, for those of you who like to have people over, you like to throw parties, Jesus threw this great impromptu picnic for for thousands of his followers. Can you imagine? You know, the first of these two picnics, often referred to as the feeding of the 5,000, is recorded in the second half of Mark chapter 6, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But it is also recorded in Matthew chapter 14, Luke chapter 9, and John chapter 6. So it's, a, it's recorded in all four Gospels. Jesus worked hundreds of of marvelous deeds and miracles during his lifetime. Many are not recorded except by a summary statement, but several of those miracles that he recorded or that he performed are mentioned only once. Others are mentioned twice. A few are described three times in in, in three different Gospels. But other than his resurrection, however, the feeding of the 5,000, this story that we're going to talk about today, is the only one other than the resurrection that is found in all four gospel accounts. It's the only one. For some reason, the Holy Spirit thought it was especially important to mention this one four times. I'm not sure why, but we're going to find out. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can do that or you can read um, off of the screen here. But let's let's open to Mark chapter 6, and I want to begin with verses 30 through 33 there. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a, in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. You know, the story begins with Jesus and the disciples trying to escape the crowds. 
How many of you are a, a crowd person? You like to be around crowds. I thought so. <laughs> Not too many do. Okay, we have one back there. We have one that likes to be around crowds. You know, well, they were trying to get, they were trying to escape the crowds because so, they, they needed a little bit of rest, you know. And so what ends up happening is Jesus and his disciples, you know, instead of getting rest, what they end up doing is they, they end up sharing a picnic lunch on a grassy field with more than 5,000 men and their families. So they, they, recomm- they, they, they expect that probably about 10,000 people were there. That's a lot of people. So certainly, you know, there are many lessons that we can learn from, from this situation here. Uh, we can learn from the, the day Jesus prepared a picnic for 5,000 people. I'm going to share four lessons with you this morning. The first lesson that Jesus taught was a lesson in flexibility. How many of you feel that you're pretty flexible? And I don't, I'm not talking about that you can stretch, you know, like, oh, you know, or, or you, you know, you do that. But I'm talking about just being flexible in your schedule. Are, are you pretty flexible? Okay, most of you are. Well, some of you are anyway. Well, this large crowd of people, more than 5,000, had been following Jesus for several days. And so, he, you know, he, he, was, he was so busy healing diseases and teaching God's word that he and his disciples didn't even have a chance to eat. And Jesus says this. Notice what he says there. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place so we can get some rest and probably get something to eat because they hadn't had a chance to do that. So he and his disciples, they climb into this boat and they went across the lake for some peace and, and for some rest. And notice what it says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them. And so what did they do? They did like most people that, that, that are following someone. They, they ran across town, you know, from the towns and they, they ran across the lake to, to be there before Jesus even showed up. Can you believe this? You know, I can only imagine the frustration on the faces of the apostles as their tiny little boat approached the shore. You know, they were tired. They were hungry. They were trying to get away from the crowds and hoping for just a moment's rest so that they could be refreshed. Instead, when they arrive, they they saw a massive crowd waiting for them. Absolutely, a massive crowd. And you you might expect Jesus to get aggravated like the disciples. You know, this, this picnic was not part of his itinerary. And these party crashers, well, they probably weren't invited. You know, Jesus didn't ask them to get into the boat and go across. Frustrated, he could have ordered the apostles to turn the boat around and head for some other shore. You know, he could have simply sent everyone home telling them that he wouldn't be doing any more um, healings or miracles, at least for that day or for the next week or so. You know, it certainly would have been understandable but, but we all know that that is not our Jesus, is it? He is not going to do that. Jesus wanted his followers to, to learn a valuable lesson. And that valuable lesson is this. Blessed are the flexible, for they won't get bent out of shape. That's what he wanted them to learn. So if you are a planner, someone who knows what you want, you love your to-do list? I mean, I absolutely love my to-do list. 
I have them all over the place. I have a stack of them. I keep them. Is that really bad? I keep my to-do list sometimes and I put them in a folder. But those who love their to-do list and feel a small rush of adrenaline when even small tasks are completed as expected, you know, it it can be fairly frustrating when life diverts your plans and sends you on a detour. I just, before I go on, I gotta just ask you this question. How many of you like to, the to-do list? Okay. I have a question for you about that. Which task do you do first? Do you do the easy ones or the hard ones? <laughs> Who said hard ones? Alright, yeah. Cause I learned that a long time ago that if I'm gonna do a to-do list, don't do the easy ones first. Do the hard ones first and then you get, you know, then it's, then it's a piece of cake after that. Okay, I, I was just asking. I just wondered. You know, it, it's no fun being so set in your ways that the slightest little things send you into a stress-filled panic mode. We have to be careful with that. You know, it sets you up for a very stressful life because things rarely go according to plan. The scripture says that the Lord kind of laughs at us. <laughs> Rightly so. See, life is, life is full of small and sometimes big surprises. You know, you get a flat tire on the way to work. Your in-laws show up unannounced. I, when I think about that, I always think about that scene in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when the, when the in-laws come and the doorbell rings, ding dong, ding dong. It's like, it's like, oh no, they're here. You know, they're here. Who invited them? You know, (laughs) one of the kids might get sick and has to be sent home from school because he threw up all over the classroom floor. You know, we, we can't prepare for these things. And, and then there, there are bigger disappointments. You know, someone might get a pink slip. I just talked to a good friend of mine who was let go at his job just recently. You know, the doctor calls and it's not what you want to hear. The divorce papers arrive in the mail, and you, it's not something that you want. The checkbook about, it bounces, and then it bounces, and it bounces some more. You know, you know, the the life that had been calm, all of a sudden, is now kind of chaotic. You know what I'm saying? Just just when you think that you've got life all figured out, you you think you got it all figured out. Something happens that throws a monkey wrench into your plans and knocks you off center. And let me tell you something. As a young person here, any of you young ones out there, believe me, it doesn't stop as a youngin. It happens to us older folks as well. It really does. And you would think that it wouldn't so much, but it does. And it's very frustrating. You know, and so it's very important that you know, but that doesn't mean we should get freaked out or bent out of shape by every little thing that happens during the day. We need to trust in the Lord. Jesus demonstrated a willingness to be flexible, to compromise, to be adaptable. Learning to be flexible allows us, allows us to stay calm and to just deal with life as it happens. Don't worry about tomorrow. What does Jesus say about that? Tomorrow will worry about itself. Just concentrate on today. 
Be flexible enough. Concentrate on today. You know, you'll stay in a positive mindset. You'll feel more confident in, in your abilities to handle a crisis and be a lot better off because of it. You know, most importantly, Jesus demonstrated that people are more important than your plans. Do you believe that? Do you live that way? To allow Jesus, you know, to people to, for people to be more important than your plans? If we are Jesus' followers, if we love the Lord, then we need to make people the highest priority. And so that leads us to the next lesson that Jesus taught his followers. It's a lesson, it's a lesson about compassion. A lesson about compassion. You know, and as I said earlier, Jesus, what he could have done is Jesus could have sent the crowd away or simply turned his, his back on them. But you see, the, the heart of Jesus is not that kind of a heart. The heart of Jesus is a heart of compassion. That's what Jesus is all about. Notice what Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says. It says, when Jesus landed, he saw the large crowds. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. You know, when Jesus saw the people gathered on the shore, he didn't see them as a maddening mob, but as a distraught, destitute individuals. And he wanted to help them. You know, Matthew says that the crowd that followed Jesus was, was harassed and helpless. Notice what he says there. When, the, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's what Jesus says. You know, it could have been weather-beaten faces, you know, tattered clothes, you know, scruffy beards, you know, those people that smile at you and they got that, that gap between their front teeth, you know. It, it, could have been, it could have been them. You know, each one of them needed a miracle. They needed a miracle. Rather than send the crowd away, Jesus instead had compassion on them and he welcomed them. You know, Jesus wanted to be their shepherd, to, to enfold them in his arms as a shepherd would his little sheep. You know, he had compassion on them, and he loved each one of them dearly. That's what he did. He loved each one of them dearly. The word compassion is one of the oldest words in the Scripture. The New Testament Greek lexicon says it means to be moved as to one's bowels. That's the definition. I didn't make that up. It means to be moved as to one's bowels, like to have a bowel movement is what he's saying there. You know, compassion then is a movement deep within. It's like a kick in the gut. You know, Jesus looked harassed and helpless at, 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 at her hapless and helpless humanity in the face and, and, he, and he felt it in his gut. He had compassion on them. You know what? I tell you what's really hard to do. It's hard to look hunger and hurt in the face. It really is. I think we would all rather turn away, wouldn't we? Not to have to look at that because that's really hard. Stare in a different direction maybe. You know, fix our, our gazes on, on fair objects. 
For you see, human hurt isn't easy on the eyes. It, it just isn't. You know, the, the, uh, the dusty cheeks of a Pakistani refugee, you know, we see them all the time in pictures. You know, the wide-eyed stares of, of orphans, we, we see it all the time. Did you know that 1.75 billion people on this earth live on less than $1.25 a day? That's tough. There was once a church sign. How many of you ever like to see some of these old, these church signs? I see if they said, this is, this is pretty funny, actually. There was once a church sign that read, we care about you. Sundays, 10 a.m. only. You know what? You know, I don't think that that was the intended message. But unfortunately, that pretty well describes some churches and some Christians. I got this amount of time that I can care about you, and that's it. You know, let's not allow ourselves to be those people. Absolutely not. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? So, so let's look at the hurting until we hurt with them. Until we hurt with them. Let's not hurry past that. Let's don't turn away from that. Let's not shift our eyes away from that. No pretending or glossing over it. You know, let, let's look at the face until we see the person just like Jesus did. Just like he did. Notice what Psalm 116 verse 5 says. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Let's be like that. Let's be like that. See, Jesus demonstrated that compassion on, on the shores of Galilee. Literally, you know, he, he did that. He, he, he demonstrated this compassion everywhere he went on the shores of Galilee, you know, literally feeding the hungry. But, but it all began with a sincere look and a sympathetic heart. Jesus looked at them. He saw them. He had compassion on them. You know, maybe this is God's strategy for, for human hurt. You know, first, concerned eyes meet desperate ones. Next, compassionate hearts move deep within. Then the miracle of God takes place. And that miracle of God happens through us. It happens through each one of you. That's where it happens. So as the story continues, Jesus then demonstrates the principle of cooperation. That's our third lesson. Jesus wasn't the only hero of that day. You know, late in the afternoon, the disciples came to Jesus. And notice what they say in Mark six thirty-five through 37. It says, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is... A remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat, he said to them. That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? See, you can tell right there that they still didn't understand who Jesus was. They just didn't understand. And so 
Andrew and, and Simon Peter's brother went to search for food. And returning, he says this, you know, and this isn't recorded in, in, in Mark or Matthew and none of the Gospels there except for John. John's the only one that mentions the boy in all the, of the other Gospels. It's John 6, 9 says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fishes. But how far will they go among so many? And once again, it shows that they just didn't understand who Jesus was. They weren't quite getting it. And so then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on a grassy field. And this is what he said in verses 39 through 42. He says, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grassy, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up into heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and they were satisfied. How many people? Thousands. Probably like ten or 15,000. And they all ate and they were satisfied. Five barley loaves and two fish? Seriously? I could almost eat that by myself because <laughs> the barley loaves were little things, you know, one bite and they're just about gone. Five barley loaves and two fishes and it fed maybe 10 or 15,000 people. That's, that's, quite, that's, that's quite a lot. You know, one of the many morals of the story is none of us can do alone what we can all do together. You know, a little boy shared his lunch. The disciples waited the tables. You know, Jesus provided the miracle. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. All of us can do something. And so when we, when we look at the needs around us, whether you want to help feed the hungry, to house orphans, to, to rebuild tornado ravaged towns, or to just to maybe to clean up your own community or, or to share the gospel, we discover pretty quickly that teamwork is really essential. We met this past week as a benevolence team and, and teamwork. We got we to do this with, it, it, with teamwork. Teamwork is essential. And so many of us are, 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 are heartbroken by the, the distressing times in which we live in. We, we see war, we see famine, and, and disease runs rampant. Throughout many parts of the world, thousands of children die every day from preventable diseases and malnutrition. Alone, there isn't anything that you and I can do about it, it seems like. But by partnering with organizations like World Vision, you know, Samaritan's Purse, you know, LifeGate Africa, IDES, IDES is one of those that we support. That's International Disaster Emergency Services. You know, support them. Uh, Tony Wolf was here uh, uh, about a year or so ago, and he has he has been able to get like seventy thousand children sponsored. And I, I think he works through World Vision, but I'm not sure who exactly who he does. But but you know, we can bring life, changing basics 
and nutritious food and clean water and health care and education to, to needy children all around the world. Did you know that a mere 2%, a mere 2% of the world's grain supply would be enough? It would be enough if shared to feed everyone on the planet. It would be enough. American Christians alone, American Christians alone have the wherewithal to house every orphan in the world. Every single one of them. So the point is this. We don't have to do everything ourselves, but we all have a role to play in helping those in need. And something as simple as sharing your lunch, like that little boy did, can make a difference. And then finally, the last lesson I'm going to share with you this morning is this, that Jesus teaches us, is that there is a lesson here in abundant leftovers. How many of you like leftovers? I like leftovers depending upon what it is. <laughs> but most of you raised your hand, so you like, you like leftovers. And you know what? There's nothing small about the Lord's provision. Absolutely not. You know, Jesus is miraculously multiplied the bread and the fish so that every person there, perhaps 10 to maybe 15,000 of men and women and children could eat as much as they wanted. It says that they were satisfied. But when they had eaten their fill, this is what Mark 6.43 says, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. How much did they start with? Five barley loaves and two fishes. And, and the disciples go around with these baskets and they pick up 12 basketfuls. Jesus didn't let anything go to waste. You know, they, they saved the leftovers and, and each one of the 12 disciples had a whole basket full of food to eat. Did you ever stop to think about that? So what's really interesting is that Jesus also performed the same miracle a couple chapters later in the book of Mark with similar results. You know, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus uses seven loaves to feed 4,000 people then. And again, the disciples gathered several baskets of leftovers. You know, there's a lesson here to be learned about leftovers. But we have to jump ahead in order to learn that lesson. And later in Mark chapter 8, the, end of the disciples began to worry because they once again set sail and they forgot to bring their bread with them. And so Jesus says this. Notice what he says there. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? You would have thought... You would have thought that they had learned their lesson from the feeding of the 5,000. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, you know, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. Duh. Twelve, and, and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Well, they answered seven. You know, seven for the seven loaves. 
He said to them, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? Understand what? (laughs) Understand the leftovers. The leftovers were for the servers. In fact, the first time, you know, there were 12 servers, there were 12 basketfuls in Mark 6.43. The second time, there were seven basketfuls left over for the, for the seven individual loaves that they, that they broke. What, what didn't they understand? Well, the thing that I don't think they understood is they didn't understand the meaning of the leftovers, namely that Jesus will take care of them when they take care of others. Jesus is going to take care of us. He has promised to take care of us. When we take care of other people, He's going to take care of us. Jesus is going to take care of us. So, those leftovers were the tangible grace of Jesus left for them to be able to touch and see and smell. Nothing could be more powerful of a reminder than that, their, their, their meager resources, you know, touched by Jesus, you know, could, could, could meet the needy of so many people and so much with the, with so much leftovers. And so the, the disciples, you know, he, he's basically telling them, you know, if you take care of these people, I'm going to take care of you. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, And my God, read that, folks, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all of your needs. He will take care of you. If you're taking care of other people, if you're meeting those needs of other people, God's going to take care of you. You can't outgive Jesus. You just can't. When you spend your life for others, Jesus will meet your needs too. Guaranteed. So, of all the lessons Jesus, Jesus' followers could have learned that day, these four principles, these four lessons, I think are important and unmistakable. The first one is this. Flexibility. Flexible people don't get bent out of shape. Second of all, it's compassion. You know, let's look at the hungry and the hurting until we feel it in our gut, as Jesus did. Number three is, is cooperation. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. And then look at the abundant leftovers. You can't outgive Jesus. There will always be enough when, when we're talking about Jesus. You know, so... Who would have thought that you could learn that many lessons from a picnic? Who would have thought that? You know, maybe there is one last lesson that we could learn from that crowd. And this is, I think, the most important one. They were so eager to be near Jesus that they ran around the lake on foot so that they could greet him on the other side. Maybe we could use a little of that enthusiasm, don't you think? You know, like the friends who lowered the buddy down through the roof, the question is this, how far are we willing to go to get to Jesus? How far are you willing to go? Uh, Maybe you're here today 
feeling like, like them. You know, maybe you're feeling harassed and helpless and, and you know that Jesus is the answer. If that's you, then we invite you to come this morning. You know, come to Jesus. Come to him. It's all about him. His arms are open wide. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I don't believe that that was an incident, guys, or a coincidence. Do you? No, it wasn't. That's right. It always is. And you're going to find out what, what, what they're talking about in a minute here when we sing our last song. But do you believe this, that where he leads, I will follow? Will you? Will you do that?